You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers, produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. Your host is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Multiple sclerosis patients currently rely on injectable medications for treatment, but there are new oral medications for MS patients on the horizon. Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, director of the Millen Experimental Therapeutics Program at the Cleveland Clinic, and professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine, joins me to discuss emerging MS therapies on neurofrontiers. Dr. Cohen, welcome to ReachMD. Hi, thanks for having me, Tony. Patients with multiple sclerosis have had to use injectable medications for years. Why has it taken so long to develop oral formulations? So the first therapy for multiple sclerosis became available in 1993, and as you had said, up until recently, we've had seven therapies available. They were all given by injection. Over the years, a number of oral medications have been tested, but they've just not worked. Uh, So what we're very excited about now is that several oral medications are emerging. You mentioned that there are several new oral medications on the horizon, but one drug has already been approved by the FDA. Can you tell us about that medication? Yes, that's correct. So that drug is Fingolimod, uh, previously known as FTY720. So that was approved in the United States in September, and it was uh, recently uh, also approved in Europe by the EMA. So Fingolimod is a sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor modulator, and it's thought that it works in multiple sclerosis by interfering with the exit of lymphocytes, the immune cells from lymph nodes, as a result, prevents them from recirculating uh, to the nervous system where they cause inflammatory tissue damage. That's kind of a, a novel formulation when you consider previously we've been working with interferon and other neuromodulating drugs. Is this fairly unique? So the abnormal immune response to multiple sclerosis has a number of complexities. So there are a number of potential ways one could impact on that. One approach, as you said, was uh, the interferons, which we think down-modulate the abnormal excessive immune reactivity. Glutaramoracetate, one of the other previously available medications, we think serves as an immunologic decoy. And another approach would be to interfere with the circulation of lymphocytes. The adaptive immune system depends on that, both to fight infections and in the case of multiple sclerosis, uh, to circulate to the nervous system to cause damage. So it's just another potential way of uh, impacting on the disease process. This drug, like other drugs, are considered more of a symptomatic therapy and not really disease-modifying. Can you tell our listeners what the difference is? Just a correction. So this drug is considered the disease-modifying drug. It impacts on the disease process itself in an attempt to lessen the abnormal central nervous system inflammation and the resultant tissue damage. And so the goal in that sort of therapy is to prevent the accumulation of disability over the long term. So that's in contrast to symptomatic medications, which are intended to relieve symptoms that are already present. Are oral medications as effective as their injectable counterparts? I mean, the first attractive of an oral medication is that it would allow the patient to avoid injections, which patients do, but they dislike them. But one of the reassuring aspects of the particular newly approved oral medication, Fingolimod, is that it's at least as effective as the previously available therapies. In fact, in one of the pivotal phase three studies that was done, it was compared head-to-head with one of the interferons and was shown to be superior. So uh, it has the advantage not only of a convenient oral route of administration, but also at least as equal efficacy. Should we now expect large numbers of our MS patients to request changing to oral medication? The oral route of administration and the generally good tolerability of fingolimod makes it very attractive to patients. 
Our advice so far has been if patients are doing well on their current medications to not switch until we've accumulated somewhat more experience, in particular long-term safety experience. However, if someone's not on therapy or is on one of the therapies and not benefiting, this is a reasonable option. Nevertheless, many patients are very tempted to switch. They strongly dislike injections, as one would expect. How about potential side effects to the fimgolamide? So in the studies that were done, it was largely well-tolerated and generally safe. There were several side effects that were noted. So the sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor that it interacts with are expressed in a large number of tissues, and that probably explains many of those side effects. So first of all, most patients' heart rate slows after they take the first pill. Typically, that's asymptomatic and typically resolves over the next week to two. So one of the requirements is that patients have to be monitored, have to be watched in the office for six hours after the first dose. The second main side effect has been macular edema. That's fluid in the retina, which causes blurred vision. It's rare. It typically develops within the first few months if it develops and typically is reversible. But the second requirement uh, in the United States is that patients have to have an ophthalmic evaluation prior to starting therapy and then several months later. Uh, And then finally, rarely, fingalimod can cause abnormal liver enzymes. So uh, blood tests need to be checked periodically. Most of those side effects were rare and were asymptomatic, but that's something we're going to have to watch for. Well, what type of patient really fits the approach for using fingolamide? Is it indicated only for relapsing and remitting multiple sclerosis, or can you use it for patients with the chronic progressive form? Well, so at this stage, it was tested in relapsing remitting MS, and that's the indication for which it was approved. So at this point, the most appropriate patient would be someone with relapsing remitting MS. Now, officially, it was approved as first-line therapy. In other words, patients are not required to have failed another therapy before trying fingolimod. But uh, as I said, at this point, we're still advising patients to at least consider one of the previously available therapies with which we have much greater experience. Now, the question of whether it would also be effective in progressive MS is an important one because that's an aspect of the disease for which we really do not have good therapies. So that's largely unknown at this point. A study of fingolimod in what's called primary progressive MS is ongoing. So that's MS that's progressive from the beginning. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and joining us to discuss emerging therapies for MS patients is Dr. Jeffrey Cohen. Dr. Cohen is the director of the Millen Experimental Therapeutics Program at the Cleveland Clinic and professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. Dr. Cohen, we were talking a little bit about the indications for multiple sclerosis patients and using oral fimgolamide. What are some of the contraindications? We talked a little bit about problems with macular edema. Are there other ones our listeners need to know about? Well, so someone with known heart disease, particularly uh, an arrhythmia or conduction abnormality, probably it's advisable for them not to go on fimgolamide. If someone has pre-existing macular edema or something that puts them at risk for it, for example, diabetes or uveitis. Uh, That doesn't absolutely preclude it, but that's someone we would need to take more care with. And then because it's a potent immunomodulator, someone who has a chronic infection would also probably be advised not to take fingolimod. 
We talked a little bit in the beginning about that there are other oral medications on the horizon. What are they and how will they help us in approaching MS? The two phase three studies of Fingalimod were reported about a year ago in the New England Journal. In that same issue, uh, there also was a phase three study of cladribine, which is a chemotherapeutic agent uh, that's given orally that depletes lymphocytes. So that drug has also been uh, submitted to regulatory authorities for approval. It's not yet been approved either in the United States or in Europe, but it also looks promising. And then very recently, we received the preliminary results uh, concerning uh, teraflunamide. So that's the active metabolite of leflunamide, which has been approved for, I think, about 10 years to treat rheumatoid arthritis. That's Arava. And also preliminary results from liquinamode. So both of those are immunomodulators. So we've not yet seen the details, but the preliminary reports seem very promising. And then finally, there's a drug called BG12, or oral fumarate, which also is an immunomodulator, which is in phase three testing. So we're hopeful that over the next several years, we may have uh, four additional oral agents. So in addition to that, there are several very potent monoclonal antibodies that are uh, in testing, and then a number of agents that are in more preliminary stages of testing. What type of timeline are we talking about in introducing some of these additional medications? I suspect in the next three to four years, we may have four or five additional choices. Now, what's going to be tough is how we're going to determine which medication is most appropriate for a given patient. Jeff, out of curiosity, I remember reading somewhere that fingolamide is actually a derivative of an Asian fungus. How does that happen? How do we take an Asian fungus and suddenly find that it's an immunologically active medication to help treat MS patients? Well, so that's actually a very interesting story. So there's an ancient Chinese remedy called plant wasps, which were found to have some immune effects. And the active ingredient that was responsible for that was found to be a compound called muriosin. So fingolimod was ultimately originally developed through an extensive derivatization program of muriosin to try to come up with other compounds that would share the immunologic effects but would be less toxic. And so that's ultimately where uh, fingolimod came from. So it was what we call ethnopharmacology, which was trying to determine the active ingredients in ancient remedies. Do you think we're going to beat MS? I mean, you've been involved in this for a long time and seen this develop. And I think all of those of us in private practice of neurology and in academic practice have certainly seen our patients help dramatically from 1993 on. Do you think it's going to be a time where this becomes more of an academic issue, where we're just going to sit back and know exactly what medication to use for our patients with MS? Is there a lot of hope? We're very hopeful. and This is a very exciting time in MS. I mean, probably over the next four to five years, our, the number of medications in our armamentarium will double. So we're, we're certainly making steady incremental progress. Now, when the big breakthrough is going to happen that's going to show us what causes the disease and how to cure it, that's very hard to predict. But I'm very hopeful that over the next five to ten years, we're going to make that breakthrough. One of the more frustrating problems with MS is when we face a problem with a chronic progressive form of MS. Are there any new ways of approaching that patient? Well, so one of the things that we've learned in recent years is, is that the inflammation that drives the early stages of the disease probably becomes less important in later stages of the disease and is replaced probably by a more degenerative process, which means either that there's some intrinsic inflammation within the brain 
or that once a certain amount of damage occurs, the nervous system tissue continues to deteriorate even without additional inflammatory damage. And so we're probably going to have to use different therapeutic strategies at that stage of the disease. And so that's where reparative strategies are probably going to be more important. And in particular, I think most of us are hopeful that stem cells are going to pan out in that regard. While we're on the topic, when you talk about stem cells, are we also considering growth factors? Well, right. So when I say stem cells, what I mean is either cell replacement therapy, so that's giving stem cells. I think our knowledge of how to use stem cells in that way is going to explode over the next several years. There's a number of trials, for example, and even in MS getting started now of certain types of adult stem cells. And then secondly, as you just said, growth factors and other approaches to stimulate the intrinsic repair mechanisms that we actually now realize are are there, but are for some reason inadequate to keep up with the pace of the ongoing damage in, in MS. This is certainly an exciting field, and there's always breaking news in the area of multiple sclerosis, and I always like to relate to patients, and I think you do as well, Jeff, the really hopeful approach to treating multiple sclerosis. I think that the stories that we hear of how active our patients are are most enlightening. Do you find that to be the case? I find MS patients very well-informed and also very realistic so that they're hopeful, but they also know that there's a lot of work to be done. Dr. Cohen, outside of the sphere of medication, what other new therapies are available for patients with multiple sclerosis? Well, so a very important aspect of treating MS besides disease-modifying therapies is to address symptoms. So our approach is to handling some of the difficult symptoms in MS, for example, bladder dysfunction, fatigue, cognitive dysfunction. We're making a lot of headway in, in that regard. And then secondly, it's become very clear that managing one's general health is very important. So all the risk factors that we know that are important for heart attack and stroke turn out to be very important in determining one's rate of worsening in MS, uh, so that all those general medical uh, issues become very important. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Jeffrey Cohen, director of the Millen Experimental Therapeutics Program at the Cleveland Clinic and professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. Dr. Cohen, thanks again for being our guest today on NeuroFrontiers. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. NeuroFrontiers is produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.